I think it's really important for a woman to have lady friends. Oh, Carolina. If we're going to be friends, there really is something I should tell you. Adam's apple? What? Adam's apple. Women don't have Adam's apples. Only men have Adam's apples. And the first night you came to town, I noticed that you had yourself an Adam's apple. Didn't, didn't you know? I know. But I'm very fortunate to have a lady friend who just happens to have an Adam's apple. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we are coming to the end of our June look at road trip movies, uh, and therefore we watched the movie To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Uh, the most to-the-point title of any movie that we've ever watched. Uh, and here to discuss it with us is Heather Moyer. Welcome, Heather. How's it going? Hey. That's great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to help out. <laughs> I'm excited to have you. Uh, yeah, Heather is an improviser with the Baltimore Improv Group, uh, one of my earliest improv teachers uh, and uh, someone I consider a good friend. And I'm very excited to have them on the podcast to talk about this uh, time capsule of the 90s. Also, yes, very much so. <laughs> also delightful human being. Heather yes. Moyer. I think that's oh, a key you. point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So to to Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. <laughs> Julie Newmar. Yeah. I mean, that's already like, I guess it's a place to start. It's it's a big swing for a title and I kind of love it, but it's yeah, it is definitely a mouthful of a title. It is. Yeah. I kind of was one of those ones they don't have room for on the marquee at the at the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, called Wong Fu. You go and you're just like too Wong Fu. And that's yeah. all you guys like, oh, what could that movie be? Um, I love that. Uh, uh, Biban Kiran, the director, like stood pat and said, "Like, no, we are keeping this is the title. It is Tu Wong Fu. We're not calling it Drag Brunch or any of the other dumb two word titles that were pitched. We're Tu Wong. We're going Tu Wong Fu. Yeah, or it's not. It's not a destination. It's it is a person. It was an owner of a Chinese restaurant. Um, but yeah, uh, I I love a mouthful of a title, and I get why Hollywood probably pitched something different, but I. I really appreciate that that is the movie that we got to watch. And two other two other title ideas are were uh She's a Lady and Ladies Night. <laughs> Which are yeah, <laughs> neither one of those are good. Yeah, I, she, it's just something about the long title that has to have it. Yeah, it makes you really curious about what the movie's about. Yeah. Um and She's a Lady almost makes sense because that is the opening song. Opening number is set the opening like drag show is set to She's a Lady by Tom Jones. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean, I like the other uh, great drag movie of the '90s. It has a long title: "The Priscilla Queen of the De or, yes. Yeah, Priscilla Queen of the Desert." Priscilla also Queen a mouthful. Yeah, Which, that one's epic. This is almost like the U.S. version of Priscilla. Well, yeah. I, I, well, I do think that that's you know, if we're gonna talk about reasons that this movie might be maligned, I think that is a a good place to spend some time because I think it would be fair to say that this movie 
borrows heavily from Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. <laughs> yeah, I can see <laughs> Yeah, this isn't a like volcanoes, Dante's Peak, or like Deep Impact, Armageddon thing where both movies just happen to come out in the same year. Like, this is a little derivative. This yeah. is yeah, this is a little bit. We took a few pieces, right? <laughs> yeah, like they they both have this, and this was I think what a year later that this came out. So like that came out, and then it was sort of. It, it, it they both have all the same pieces of it's three drag queens who are driving across a country from one destination to another in a road trip movie like all of the the sort of beats of it are the and they both in both cases they have some sort of vehicle trouble that gets them to spend time in some sort of remote location <laughs> That's I wild. remember I'm an old I'm an old woman I was in college in the late nineties and they both Priscilla and the long food movies where we would watch on repeat because they were so classic and it was so nice to see some sort of gay icons on screen yeah well yeah and i think that's the thing is it's like i i think it's important to note like just like that obviously that was an influence but i we got both movies and so i don't think that's a bad thing at all <laughs> no you know? not at all yeah. it's both great yeah yeah, and they both definitely have achieved cult classic status on some level uh that they are you know, movies that are people that I think Priscilla had better reviews initially, like out of the gate. I think that was more well received, probably because it was, you know, from another country and American critics are like it's from another country. It's better <laughs> and smarter. Uh, but uh, yeah, this this one didn't have outstanding initial reviews. But what cult classic did? Most but, of them didn't. Yeah. That's sort that's, of what makes them a cult classic. Become, yeah, exactly. If, you, if you're just a classic, if you're immediately beloved by everyone. Did you, did you guys get a chance to rewatch the, the trailer for it? No, I probably no. should have. That. Yeah. It's am- I, I watched it just to see how it was pitched as far as, you know, for a trailer. And it starts off, it has, you know, you know Wesley Snipe from, you know, it shows all these Passenger 57. He's like kicking butt. And then, you know, Patrick Swayze and all these images of him kicking butt in other movies. And they're like, you're going to see him in a role you've never seen them before. Yeah. It's like, it like eases you into it. Like these are manly men, but they're doing something very girly. Now. <laughs> it, it is funny. Like I do have a memory. I watched this movie in the theater when it came out, when I was uh, a teenager and I, and it really was because I liked Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes so much that I that that actually worked on me. Like, I think I was the exact uh, person that they were trying to get with that, that of like, yeah, no, I love their like, you know, the, I love these Huge action fan. movies. Anyway, I, yeah. And and so, like, I, I think on that level, it was very clever, the marketing, because. I like to believe that I was one of many like teenage boys who, you know, were like, oh, let's see this. And we're like, I like really came out of this a better person, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that also goes to a little bit of this, how this movie is, or I think justifiably maligned, is that a lot of the early moments in the movie is like, it's Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes, but they're not, they're not women at all. And it's like, uh, okay. And then, then it actually turns into like this lovely heartwarming story that I think we'll talk about as we pivot to the, the good things about the movie. But um, very intentional casting of two of the like sort of bigger second tier action stars of the era. And John Leguizamo, who is just a delight. And I was probably a bigger John Leguizamo fan at the time that that was probably what got me into the theater more than Swayze or Wesley Snipes. Yeah. For me, it was Patrick Swayze because he was amazing. Yeah. Roadhouse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Swayze's great. 
and, and that iconic Saturday Night Live sketch of Patrick Swayze and Chris Farley trying out for the Chippendales. Yeah, yeah, that is. yeah. So that's how I knew Swayze too. <laughs> I, I will say it's one thing. Like rewatching it now that I I thought was interesting is that yeah, because of all those and and obviously Dirty Dancing too. Like I I definitely associate Patrick Swayze with like very you know like obviously he was a classically trained dancer. And it's interesting that the character that he plays in this, like it, you never really like the character is more reserved. So he do, like I expected more dancing from him in this role. And he doesn't really like he's more the like kind of reserved, uh, you know, like matronly one of the three. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, like I, I kept waiting. I also I, wa- I really waited for him to like roundhouse kick the terrible husband. <laughs> We don't that, really see that. that. I was just saying, they give him two fights, you know, he gets in two fights. So it's nice to see the, you know, some of the, the manliness coming from Patrick Swayze. But one of those fights, I mean, I don't know that we should start here, but he just shoves Chris Penn and Chris Penn is unconscious for seven hours. <laughs> Which is weirdly believable. <laughs> I believe that Chris Penn just like, ah, I'm just going to lay here. I'm just, now I'm going to get a nap. Um, that's not how traumatic brain injuries work. If you're unconscious for seven hours, you've had severe trauma. Yeah. And you're not like, going to go back to your job right away. <laughs> no. I, I mean, maybe in this hustle culture in America, you will. But <laughs> yeah, or be able to remember anything that happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that could explain why he had that list. Oh, are we talking about the list? Uh, I mean. Yeah. I When, if not now. <laughs> I did. I Yeah, I had it because I. So. The places that his character goes to try to find them, his list of places that he feels likely that they would be flower shops, ballet school, flight attendant lounges, restaurant brunch, antique shops. (laughs) (laughs) You know, all those classic gay haunts of the 90s. (laughs) Yeah. I will will say that, like, that list does like shine a light on how reductive gay stereotypes are. And like, that is the list that Chris Penn's character would absolutely have made. I um, I do appreciate that. He, he has a sketch that I presumably like he would have had to give the description for the sketch, but then he's consulting the sketch and looking at people to try to find them. But at one point when he goes to the ballet school, they're kids and he's still, <laughs> looking at the sketch as if one of these children might somehow have been <laughs> the drag then queen. Maybe, maybe, maybe that drag queen was three kids in a drag costume. <laughs> yes. That's right. In a trench coat, right? <laughs> uh, speaking of drag costumes, uh, well, I mean, obviously throughout the duration of the movie, Wesley Snipes, John Leguizamo and Patrick Swayze uh, are all in drag, but, there wasn't a lot of like drag performance in the movie. Like there's the opening scene that's like the the New York drag pageant whatever mm-hmm. thing. Um but like there isn't what we typically think of from a drag show at all in this movie and I kind of want to see them perform a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I think Patrick Swayze could have nailed something like oh, that. Yeah. You and- get like the very brief you know scenes of it at the beginning and then at the very end, you know when they're up on the picnic tables, you kind of get a little bit there but I don't know. I kind of I, I kind of do. And I don't want them to do a show because it was so interesting to see like the human side, like yeah. the non show, not the non showbiz side of them. That was really, really touching. No, I think that's a good aspect of it. But at the same time, like if if you tell me Patrick Swayze is playing a drag queen named Vita Boem, 
<laughs> I want to see that show, and I'm a little mad that I didn't get to. Um, and that yeah. uh, uh, that Wesley Snipes is playing Noxima Jackson. Uh, also want to see that show. I did. Yeah. Did both of you read the thing too that apparently, like, there's a golfer oh, yeah. named Chichi Rodriguez who was uh, apparently sued this movie because of the use of the name, which is just i don't know very ridiculous and <laughs> i didn't see that no yeah. that's funny I did, I did see that as well that yeah that john leguizamo's drag persona is named chichi rodriguez um and yeah that there was a lawsuit that i guess they settled and paid chichi money don't cross a drag queen man <laughs> I, yeah I, uh, it's a thing that happened um but yeah so I guess to like talk about the plot of this movie, you know, we've kind of been jumping around. This is uh, so we have the uh, tie in the New York City drag competition between Nagzima Jackson and Vita Boem. Uh, and so they decide that, that, you know, so they have to go to the, the world or the U.S. drag pageant, whatever. Um, and then they decide that they are taking uh, Chichi Rodriguez under their wing. Uh, and they have car trouble somewhere in Nebraska and they save the town. And then, uh, Chichi Rodriguez wins the drag pageant on the other side of the country. And that's, mm. that's like the real, real quick synopsis of this movie. I will say the, the setup's a little sweaty. Like the, the initial premise is a little thin of just, you know, the, there's a tie and they both have the tickets and then they uh, they see Chi Chi crying and then they trade in their tickets like it's I think once they get on the road, we're in better hands. But the like the setup just feels like it, the call to adventure is a little a iffy. little thin. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it, it gets them on the road and I think you forget about it pretty quickly because you just you see this human story. About people, you know, growing and changing. So it actually kind of hits a lot of hero's journey moments as it goes through. But uh, yeah, I they they could have spent a little more time getting them on the road. Well, they made sure they had that Robin Williams cameo in there yes, too. Yes, like they spent yeah. they spent a long time on that scene, which wasn't really that important of a scene. But it was like, here's Robin Williams, let him do his thing. Well, <laughs> well that was because definitely... Robin Williams showed up and he just went. And they're like, well, we got all this footage. So, <laughs> yeah, like that scene, that scene was four lines in the script and took 25 minutes of runtime. It's also probably four lines that Robin Williams didn't read and just. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like that. Um, like no way was his name in the in the uh, call sheet. John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Yeah. He just decided that. Uh, and I, I will say, like, I don't th I don't know if this is a reason to malign the movie or not, but I think this is something a thought that I had is man i would have loved to have seen uh john leguizamo and robin williams do a movie together i think that that would have been electric i think uh both of their sort of improvisational like character styles i think could have played off each other or it could have been insufferable is the other possibility <laughs> but uh, at any rate i wanted to, to see it just be making jokes there'd be, it'd be all bits the whole thing would be bits <laughs> I, I mean we're all improvisers i think that'd be great <laughs> I think the pitch would have been it's like my dinner with Andre. It's just that's the whole setup is they're just having dinner and there's no script. <laughs> it's you just film them for two hours, like talking about. Yeah, I would talk. watch that. You're right. I yeah. would watch that. Yeah, <laughs> I would watch the hell out of that movie. Um, yeah. And but I, I just thought uh, and that sort of gets to another point. Apparently, uh, 
John Leguizamo did do a fair amount of improv in the in it, and that angered Patrick Swayze to a high degree, so much so that I guess he punched him at one point. Oh my god! <laughs> that he was just like, "No, stick to the script. These writers worked hard." <laughs> Who knew uh, Patrick Swayze was a stickler for the script, man? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's words on the page. He's a he's a writer's actor, I guess. Um, but that was just an, an, another odd story that. Uh, that happened related to this movie and John Leguizamo causing more trouble. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just wanted to share that to, for the for everybody. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I think ignoring the fact that you know, some I'm sure as many people like Joel that were uh, interested in the movie for the pitch, I'm sure that did turn off a bunch of people from this movie and probably weren't willing to give it a chance. Uh, and those people are wrong, and they should have. And I think yeah, that people did true. give it a I think it's the, the parallels between this movie and what's happening now in the U.S. with with uh, drag Whoa. is uh, it's pretty amazing. It's like everybody's turned into a Chris Penn character about, yeah. about drag. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a fascinating thing that yeah, I, I think not only has this movie aged well, but it like it feels way more relevant that yeah, the literally the the villain in the movie is a cop from a small town who is dangerous but who is trying to say that they're dangerous and who you know like yeah it, to use the parlance of our time this movie hits different in 2023 versus 1995 yeah, yeah. very much so um no i've even seen uh so i think that this movie like proves the wanda sykes joke that's been going viral that until a drag queen goes into a school and kills eight kids with a copy of to kill a mockingbird we're fighting the wrong battles yeah that's epic brilliant joke like just perfectly worded so Um, good but like these drag queens are they literally make everybody who they encounters lives better yeah and that's not to say that that's something all drag queens will do but i think that that's a more likely outcome than anything that people are fear-mongering about so i think that's important to mention What's like you know, we didn't get we didn't get the, the drag queen show of them, but we do get the makeover scene. There's definitely a music, yeah, and mon- yeah. music a makeover montage. We got that. So that was good. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, I'm totally good to just pivot and spend the rest of the show talking about things that we love about this movie. No, I think that's yeah. fair. I mean, I think that it's it's pretty obvious why this movie uh, like it has some pacing, like just to like it has some pacing issues. It. You know, it just kind of pushes things along. You didn't get the big drag number that I think a lot of people wanted. Uh, But other than that, I mean, let's talk about how much fun a lot of the moments in this movie are. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's there's stuff that doesn't work, but the stuff that works like really works, I think is. But yeah. And and Heather, to your point, the a great place, I think, to start is the the makeover montage in the town. So the. What is it? It's the Strawberry Social. Is that what the Strawberry Social? The big yeah. I think the Strawberry Festival. Festival. Yeah. Uh, but that's the big town festival that they're all planning for. And um, <laughs> where <laughs> I think this is important to mention is that until the drag queens come along, all the Strawberry Festival is, is everybody makes a strawberry pie and they decide who this is the best. And that's it. <laughs> I mean, you're downplaying it, but that sounds great. Like, no, I'm not going to lie. No, it sounds delightful, but um, I, w- I would argue that that's not a festival. That's just a fun afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but just, yeah. yeah, it's a pie. A it's just a pie. It's just, it's just everyone has dessert. 
but uh but yeah so they're they're trying to find outfits for everyone because they decide that everyone is going to wear red you know because it's a strawberry festival and then they find a box of like vintage clothes in an like the attic of the, the weird general store the weird general store that's all just like these 1970s clothes and they all uh get makeovers and try on the outfits and it's phenomenal the- yeah no that's that is it is a very good montage scene um and it just shows that uh, the woman that ran the hair salon, like she could have done this work all the time and chose not to until the drag queens came along. <laughs> apparently, is that she had she was a pretty yeah she had some skill, pretty competent and you know really talented cosmetologist. No one uh, asked her. Uh, yeah, I guess that's the, uh, that's it. It was good. The drag queens they unlocked everybody's mm, potential. It yeah, was nice. But- <laughs> You know, they they basically Care Bear stared at all the people in the town and brought out their best selves. <laughs> um, I also i I really loved the the glam up on uh, Beth Grant, who um, is sort of also you know famously stars in another movie with Patrick Swayze of Donnie Darko, but she always plays these like she's always like a small town character that is kind of sour towards everyone, and I liked her glammed up and looking you know fantastic like in the montage it, watching her yeah, she's one against, of those characters yeah, yeah she always plays that lady see in all kinds of movies yeah. yeah i mean you find a niche and stick with it and i, I mean beth grant is one of the best at that from uh, i doubt your commitment to sparkle motion mm-hmm. which is one of the all-time great cinema lines <laughs> um but like just watching her fight against the joy until the smile breaks on her face like when she like sees herself like that's really excellent screen acting like it's it's really really well done um and no she's awesome and she's funny and she's just she is always value added even though i mean she definitely is typecast but uh no i love beth grant and i was happy to i was happy to see her i was speaking of other people that are typecast i was happy to see alice drummond yeah uh, who i really love uh she played the um the widow of the town cinema owner um she was also uh, the woman in the opening scene of Ghostbusters uh, that claimed she had an uncle who thought he was St. Jerome. Uh, and she often just plays sort of like haunted, but, you know, uh, out, you know, sort of like out there characters, uh, similar to what she did in this movie. Uh, and had nobody just asked her about her pictures? And they're just like, ah, <laughs> oh, that that Alice Drummond just never talks. I did enjoy that, though, that, yeah, that's the whole setup is that her character has hasn't spoken in years, I think they say. And it's just Noxima sitting next to her and she starts uh, talking about Maybe Dorothy, Dorothy Dandridge movies. Yeah, Dorothy Dandridge movies. And then uh, Clara is the character's name. Like she starts filling in information and they have this whole conversation about movies. And it's like, yeah, you do get the impression that it's like nobody has talked to her about anything that interested her. And that's why she hasn't <laughs> talked. Yeah, they all just feel sorry for her and leave her alone. It's like, yeah. oh, I she doesn't want to talk. It's like no one ever wanted to find out what Clara's into. Yeah, and then, she, but yeah, I love that her first line isn't is like just kind of the small like, all right, do Dorothy or do Lena Horn now. Yeah, uh, is is how she like really opens up and um, yeah, no, it was and then but then like she by being opened up by Nagzima, uh, she. I feel like we're doing a, a cleanser commercial. Opening up with Noxzema. <laughs> It'll open up your pores. Uh, it opened up the pores of Clara's heart uh, with that, uh, you know. There's also literally a moment where, where Noxzema talks about one of the characters' pores in this movie. 
<laughs> that's true. Uh, well, I mean, drag queen skincare routine is is notably phenomenal. I mean, they're they got to look stage ready at all times. Yeah, you got to look good all the time. But yeah, it was uh, Jennifer Milmore's Bobby Lee character. Uh, yeah, she she says something about how big her pores are when they because they give her a makeover because that's the other storyline that we didn't specifically talk about is that uh, Chi Chi kind of falls for uh, Bobby Ray. But Bobby Lee has a crush on Bobby Ray, and then they sort but of. Then Bobby Ray also kind of falls for Chi Chi. Yeah, um, no, Bobby Ray is very much wooing Chi Chi for this strawberry uh, festival, and that uh, played by. I mean, it's not a '90s movie without one of the London twins. Yeah, so, I mean, let, let's let's be honest. I think this was Jason London in this one. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. I I do love that like when Chi Chi is talking to Nagzima and uh, Vita about how she's like falling for Bobby, like Nagzima says like that can't work. You both have like the same parts. I'm like, aren't these all gay men? Like they should know how gay sex works. I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's like that they should like they don't know that Bobby Ray is not gay. Like maybe he maybe he also saw um, Chi Chi's Adam's apple and didn't care. <laughs> That's right. He knew the whole time. Yeah. Um. You know we don't know. Yeah. You know, I do. I kind of like. I mean, I love that that clip that we played at the beginning with uh, with Carol Ann, the Stalker Channing character, like kind of giving that reveal. But I I almost like that interpretation that everyone in the town just knew and was just like, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Like it's like yeah, it's it's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, and I love that, like, I mean, you had the, the sheriff that was, you know, bigoted and all that. Um, but like, other than Michael Vartan making a second appearance in as many months on the podcast, uh, and his friends were, they were just a-holes. They weren't necessarily bigoted a-holes. They were just like crappy people. Um, but like everybody else was real open-minded and it, it was nice to say that that can happen in small towns sometimes. We did also have the horrible husband of. Uh, oh, well, he was he was a bad dude. Yeah, played yeah. by Arliss Howard. Yeah, yeah, Virgil. Virgil. <laughs> Virgil. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I mean, if you're if you're able to get a Stockard Channing, like, you don't want to mess that up with, you know, violence. Did I, am I the only one that wanted her to go with them? That I was still kind of like at the end. I was like, I still think you should go. Like, I don't. Yeah. I don't think this is great because, like, I don't know, Virgil's still out there. This this sheriff is still out there. Maybe maybe go to L.A., you know? Yeah, well, and that's the other thing is, like, it didn't say that she had to, like, never return. Yeah. She could have just taken a fun trip and had some her time, which probably would have been excellent for her. <laughs> probably. Yeah, so she probably would have left the town. She yeah. Got I mean, she may, have realized that, she, she may have realized that she didn't want to be in that town. Or... She may have said, like, wow, I, I took a nice break and now I'm going to go back because I she did care about her friends and stuff in the town. So, but yeah, like nothing said that, that it was a one way trip. It's like, sorry, it's, it's like the Holy Grail. Once it crosses the, the boundary, you can never return. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, that would have been my one, you know, may, maybe, maybe go with them. 
Like maybe maybe take that trip to LA, meet Julie Newmar, you know. Well, and and I think if they had had actually, because the movie obviously wasn't about winning the drag pageant, like even though that was sort of the inciting event, um, I think that it had their had they intended to do scenes in LA or in the around that drag pageant, then they definitely should have had her go along with them. But the fact that it was maybe 45 seconds of screen time their entire the entirety of la it was a bunch of uh bubsy berksy bubsy berkeley style like uh fan reveals and then uh julie newmar hands her a crown says no lines roll credits <laughs> yeah i did think the the julie newmar cameo was fascinating which i think i read that it was just that julie newmar was on set that day and yeah <laughs> like that maybe that was even improvised on the day but it is kind of odd that they got Julie Newmar and like, yeah, there's no real substantial interaction. I also saw a story that uh, years later, Julie Newmar was at a convention and someone brought this like a DVD or a VHS for her to sign. And I guess she didn't remember the movie. So she was oh like, God. she was like, uh, what do I have to thank Wang Fu for? <laughs> like, she didn't understand the title like she seemed to have no memory uh well and i'm sure that like a friend of hers had had tipped her off that they were making a movie with her name in the title so she i'm sure that's what brought her to set that day well i did read that they had to get permission from her to use her name in the title like so like yeah, i so, think they have to yeah so i think that's why she was aware because she you know i'm sure had to sign something that said that they could use her name well, then they should have known about Chi-Chi Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I feel like Chi-Chi Rodriguez is, I just would be a common name for, for drag queens. It doesn't seem that unique. Yeah, no. I think that's, yeah, I think that, that just slipped past the, <laughs> the lawyers for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it is an interesting thing, too, that I guess the, we didn't mention this before, but the, that actual... To Wang Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Nomar, was a real signed photo. There is a real Wang Fu and that the writer of this movie had seen it that in uh, Andy, I don't know if you remember the story. I don't have it in front of me, but it's like um, um, basically like this restaurant, this restaurant, there was a Chinese restaurant in uh, New York City that uh, was frequented by uh, drag performers and celebrities uh, and like a lot of I don't feel like this is a lot more common in New York, but when a celebrity like patronizes an, a, a location, they have them get assigned eight by ten and and everybody wrote there is like to Wong Fu, you know, that that was the owner of the of the Chinese restaurant. And yeah, one of them was to Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Julie Newmar. Yeah. And it was just that the the writer of this had seen that and that, you know, I guess had a similar reaction to patrick swayze uh upon scene i don't think that the that headshot was stolen or maybe it's the one in the movie i don't know maybe that's the one ripped off of the wall from the actual yeah. i was gonna say you suppose it was like screwed into the wall i'm thinking of like, like applebee's or fridays where they have tons of stuff on the walls but it's all like screwed in so no one takes it <laughs> like, you would have to think right those new york places because yeah the, those would have to disappear Otherwise, it's just in someone's yeah. house and it just says to Wong Fu. But it's like, that's a good question, too. Of like, what, what do we think that Stalker Channing did with it? Is that just displayed in the living room? That's, a, that's an altar. You put that, put that on <laughs> yeah, the mantle. That's, a, that's on the mantle. That, that moves grandma's urn to the left and, <laughs> and, and, and takes the position of honor. 
atop the fireplace. I mean, because they did both agree that Julie Newmar was statuesque. I would agree with that as well. Like, if we're all weighing in on that, then yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I don't think statuesque would be the first adjective I would use for Julie Newmar. Um, but sure. Sultry, I think, is, is Julie Newmar's, at least as Catwoman, which is what I know her the most from. I will push back. I, this movie does assert that she is the only Catwoman. And I, I do think that all three uh, of the Adam West Catwoman are fantastic. Like, it's hard to actually pick. Uh, I mean, you, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, Lee Merriweather, meh. I, look, I, I like, I'll, I'm a Lee Merriweather defender, I think. <laughs> Someone needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, Eartha Kitt was fantastic, too. So let's not forget that she was also a great Catwoman. But, I mean, Julie Newmar is the first person I think of when I think of the 60s Batman and who played Catwoman. I mean, she's great in the movie when she's Miss Kitka, like, is really wonderful. But, you know, I I mean, I don't know. I adore that show anyway. But I, I, I like can't believe that. I can't believe your favorite Catwoman is in Halle Berry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, Future uh, discussion on this show of Halle Berry's Catwoman. (laughs) I I think we've just been avoiding the inevitable with that, that at some point we are going to have to have to deal with that. Um, Oh, man, I I don't want to think about it right now. I want to think about (laughs) I don't know, like this movie was just uplifting and it was fun and. It just really said that, hey, if you're kind to other people, things are good. And yeah. That's an important message. I think it honestly, like watching it now, in addition to what Heather was saying about just obviously it resonates a lot now. And I think it's a, a good movie to watch in 2023. But it, it kind of reminded me of that like Ted Lasso thing of just winning through positivity, which I think is really nice of just like leading by example and and just being good people and like kind of changing a culture through kindness, which I think is a really wonderful thing. Like, I think that's always a super important message, but feels very important now, obviously. Yeah, it feels it feels like it goes. It makes me think of when I teach improv and how easy it is for folks to immediately argue in scenes like their characters mm-hmm. argue. But encouraging them to not always fall on that, but to actually work together towards something can last so many times make the scene so much more interesting. It's nice to see, you know, the working together and the, the kindness coming out of that. Yeah. No, that's, that's a point I always make too when teaching improv is that uh, don't underestimate how enjoyable it is to watch two people just agree and enjoy each other's company. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of shows that are built on that as, as they're like the cornerstone of their, their ethos you know that it's just two people agreeing getting along i mean that's ted lasso but it's it's a lot of like that beavis and butthead has had a cultural phenomenon and it's just two dudes that agree with each other non-stop and it works um but no like this it was just uh even like michael vartan and his gang of uh dirty rural boys uh just having their you know realize that it was a they needed to be better like that was nice and it wasn't uh it wasn't forced or anything um you know that scene where nagzima instructs him on how to properly talk to other human beings uh um, iconic you know i love that yeah <laughs> uh you know she gets his attention quite uh directly and then you know uh explains that you say 
good morning or good afternoon. <laughs> and which they, which they do. And, they, and, they, they and he does at the end. Yeah. 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 When yeah. he's in his just incredibly fancy, like red 70s outfit that he somehow pieced together. Yeah, they, they certainly hit a lot of like 60s clothing in the upstairs of that store. Yeah, yeah. no, they were All sitting on everybody's size. Yeah, <laughs> sitting on a real gold mine of just like. Yeah. Who knew that that's where they put all of the clothing from the 60s? Well, that's what happened. Yeah, when the when the 70s <laughs> right. came along, they were like, we'll deal with this later. Maybe there's, oh, maybe there's a box for each decade. Maybe if you actually look, that's what the town does. Is they just, when fashions change, they just box it all up and put it in the attic. So Just in case. <laughs> and then they can have theme parties. If yeah. they ever have a 90s night or an 80s night, they can just have all the costumes ready. Right. Um. Can yeah. we also can we talk about how much like it, I loved the I am Spartacus like uh, ending where when our two villains show back up in the town and it's basically like I am the drag queen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my shoe, yeah. right? Yeah, because he's holding the shoe. He's holding up the shoe and like she fits in this shoe. Yeah, wasn't that, yeah. And wasn't that Beth Grant that said it's my shoe like the most petite one of all? Yeah. Of them? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I also do like the the reverse Cinderella like theme of the shoe, you know, being like how they're going to figure it out. But yeah, like just that because it, it is it's Stocker Channing, right? That's the first because we see someone coming out and they have a red mm-hmm. veil over their face and you're supposed to think, you think it's going to be Vita. Right. You think it's right. going to be Vita. But then, yeah, she pulls back the veil and it's like, I am the drag queen. <laughs> yeah. I have, a, I have some issues with the way that Chris Penn handles a shotgun in that scene. He's just like pointing it everywhere. Yeah, that's dangerous. <laughs> I was like, this is scary. Yeah. Well, he did just suffer a traumatic brain injury. So. That's true. Okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a reasoning for it. So right? maybe that tracks a little bit more that he uh, had no clue how to do his job. And he really should have been on bed rest and getting medical attention. For real. Well, it's also, I mean, those other cops don't bat an eye at, like, I believe he just tells them, like, I'm going to go find these people and murder them. And they're like, oh, all right. Yeah. All good. right. Good to see you, buddy. Like, which, I mean, again, doesn't feel <laughs> inaccurate, but. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, just, I mean, I guess the movie did need a villain. Out, I mean, because Arliss Howard was a very like situational villain, so I guess that maybe there was needed to be some sort of antagonist. Um, but even though, like, really, it's just people making each other better people is like, had you removed all the Chris Penn stuff, I don't think I would have missed it. Even though I do like Chris Penn, I thought that he was good at, at doing what he did in the movie. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It was yeah, uh, it was nice that that wasn't the focus. The focus was them being kind and like right. Helping the town out. Yeah, it does make you wonder, yeah, is there a version of this where, I don't know, could it have worked with no antagonist if it was just about, you know, like making this town better or, you know, which I guess is kind of like the Ted Lasso thing where there's like never seems to really be villains like the villains are actually good people or can be redeemed kind of thing. Except for Rupert. Except for Rupert. (laughs) It has one villain. um yeah like i don't know because i think i feel like it's probably a harder pitch to say that to say that this movie is just it's just gonna be a bunch of drag queens they're gonna go to a town and they're gonna make everyone's lives better i feel like in the 90s that's a harder sell whereas you could probably 
pitch a similar premise now and it might work probably because we're, you know, Ted Lasso and things like that have happened. But um, but yeah, the movie definitely doesn't hinge on uh, Chris Penn catching the drag queens and um, you're neither rooting f- against n- you're not really rooting against him finding them at all just because it's like eh, it does. I don't care. I am a sucker for those kind of uh, old West showdown type scenes <laughs> like that, that like just I, I liked the way that it was shot um, of just, you know, when a town, especially in like a comedy like this, when a town stands up for the like three amigos or, you know, the Muppet movie or something like that, where it's just or, or to use another movie we talked about this month, Wild Hogs <laughs> or Wild oh Hogs. <laughs> uh but yeah just i i'm a fan of those like you know the the bad person comes to the town and now all the townspeople have decided to stand up together against them like always a fan yeah the like the the school movie where like the bully is like finally calling out the kid that he's been bullying but then everybody gangs up on the bully and it's like no you're you're the bad kid or whatever but yeah like stuff like that it is it is uplifting um, and that it built to the I am Spartacus moment was excellent. I think um, one movie. You know, my thing, my, I was going to say, I have a, a my, my film weaknesses whenever I can tell that they're clearly on a set. And it's just, <laughs> that small town was like so obviously a set and not like a real place. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say more movies should have I am Spartacus moments because I, I always love them. Like, yeah, I, would, I mean, just just work them into, you know, Jurassic Park. Like, I am the Velociraptor. No, I am the Velociraptor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, do it uh, with Catwoman, right? There's enough people that have played Catwoman. I'm no, Catwoman. No, I, I'm, I'm the Catwoman. Catwoman. <laughs> yeah, I just, have, just get all the... I mean, we're doing the multiverse stuff. Let's just have that be every superhero movie from now on. Just all the people that have ever played that person. Oh. I'm the Batman. I'm the Batman. A- Andy, I think Hollywood is ahead of you on that. Oh, I, I think, know they are. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's I, already I, happening. I, I have not seen Flash, but I've seen the ads and I can I can interpret things from incomplete data sets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we are in the era of get as many of the people who played that character. <laughs> yeah, let's get all re- the let's get all the Spider-Mans. Let's uh let's get them all in in one spot. Um Yeah, like this I would say of all the movies, like if you haven't seen this movie, go watch it. And if you have seen this movie, go watch it again. Uh, like it's just, it's, it, it, it's a, it's a nice time capsule. So it works on that level. It's uh, just a great feel good story. Uh, and I mean, I think that uh, it should remind you like who's on the right side of history right now in 2023 right and who yeah. and who's on the wrong side uh, i think this movie encapsulates that to a t so um you know make sure make sure you go give it a look see um and um go watch priscilla queen of the desert it's a good double feature i think yeah, to, oh, to yeah. that both. double feature together. has to exist yeah like that's that's happened it, i will you know, say so- this this movie has a really good soundtrack too that was another one my friends had it in college it's got like Cindy Lopper's on it, Patty LaBelle, Salt and Pepper, and of course they have "She's a Lady" by Tom Jones. That's required by law. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah they've got that, a lot of good songs on it. That, that uh, remix, that alternate version of "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" over the end credits, I really enjoyed. It was like just a little bit different. Um, it's not like the the single version that we're used to. 
Um, I'm sure it's just a remix. I don't think Cindy Lauper re-recorded it, but she may have. I don't know. Um, but I think that if she was going to record a song for the movie, she would have found a way to be in the movie because Cindy Lauper just is great and does things like that. Yeah. Um, and go see Cindy Lauper in concert if you ever get the chance. Uh, I I've never experienced a happier show than a Cindy Lauper concert. Oh, Everyone wow. was just really happy to be there. Um, yeah, it was Cindy Lauper and Erasure, so it was very much a oh, time capsule. Good. Yeah, it was a. I mean, it was a fantastic show. Uh, and it was when I was working at Merriweather, and uh, yeah, it was just it was just joyful. Uh, so if you get a chance, yes, yeah, I think it's worth your time. The best, like yeah, I love Cindy Lauper. No, she's she's a delight, and no, and this movie is super fun. Uh, and yeah, I think it's, it's just go watch this movie. Everybody in America needs to sit down and watch this movie at 8 p.m. on a Sunday evening, just all at once. Just it's broadcast one of those it ones like the same with friends. Too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and just feel better, feel good. Also, if you live in a small town, maybe maybe try this drag queen uh, strawberry festival. Like, just see see what you know. I grew up in a small town. Like, I think it would do everyone good to <laughs> to have a drag queen strawberry festival. I have a drag queen oh strawberry God, yeah. festival with it's some seventies clothes, like for sure. Yeah. yeah, that would be amazing. I would have totally done that in my hometown. <laughs> drag queen, drag queen strawberry festival. Hell yes. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of, and I'm not kidding, in my town at the county fair, we had Queen Nicotina. So that was a a cigarette themed. (laughs) Uh, That's legit. That sounds like a drag name. Honestly, Nicotina would be a fantastic drag queen name. Um, (laughs) But no, it's because of the tobacco fields. Like they still, that's what they called it when I was a kid. (laughs) Queen Nicotina. Yeah, that, that, yep. Um, I do want to point out, RuPaul's character in this movie was played was named Rachel Tensions and is lowered down to the stage wearing a Confederate flag dress as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A sequined Confederate flag dress. Yes. That is a thing that happens in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, Rachel Tension, solid drag name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I mean, we didn't really talk about it, but that opening scene, that is a lot of uh, real drag queens of the time are just yeah. the sort of extras. rest of the. Yeah, I didn't want to call them the extras, but yes, the, the like. Mean, the, the, but they don't yeah. have lines. They're just yeah. they're there to fill out the scene. I think at the scene at the end in L.A., it was a lot of L.A. drag queens that yeah. played in that one. But yeah, so there is, but I do think that would have been fun if like. You know, with the Cindy Lauper song, maybe if they had used the credits to show some extra, like performance footage or something. But yeah, this is a movie that I feel like like kooky outtakes at the end could have worked for too. Yeah, oh, yeah, or just extra footage of performing. or just extra scenes, like extended scenes. Like I think that could have, I think this that would have fit very well with this type of movie. Yeah, um, I want to. Yeah, I want to see them like dress down somebody. Right, just like go to go to town. Right. Someone yeah. like just read the riot act to him. <laughs> yeah, there had yeah, to the be. Closest... I feel like there had to be a lot of Wesley Snipes, uh, really critiquing people, like on the cutting room floor. Yes. Um. Yeah, and I think that John Leguizamo could have also been great at that, and wasn't really given the chance, um, to just really play up the character. Although his scenes with Jeremy London or Jason London were really heartwarming too. Like they were just a sweet like. 
budding childhood romance even it was very innocent like it was a very Mm -hmm. yeah young romance for sure even though i think john leguizamo was like 30 at the time this movie came out (laughs) oh my god (laughs) uh but no this is yeah this is a good way to end the month because uh you know we watched a lot of road movies and while the road trip is is sort of the inciting event not the whole movie for this uh it, it i think it fits and i think it was fun and it definitely was a joy to watch and a joy to have heather on the podcast yeah yeah for sure I, this was easily my favorite of the month like yeah i i would agree uh i mean low bar but still like this was a, this is a good this was definitely yeah the what best else movie. did you watch can i ask that what else did you guys well, watch? wild uh, hogs as andy mentioned <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, man. we watched um the sex drive sex drive the james marsden uh comedy that was mentioned in jury duty uh, <laughs> uh and then what was the other one the um Oh man, I'm blanking on what the uh, it's it's not the most memorable. Couldn't be that memorable if we can't think of what it is. It's a good sign that neither one of us can remember the other one. Yeah. Uh, uh, Oh, oh, the guilt trip. Guilt trip. Yep. The The guilt uh, trip with uh, Seth Rogen and Barbara Walters. Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. (laughs) I'm so much better with Barbara Walters. I would love to see it with Barbara Walters. (laughs) This is 2020. Stop smoking so much yeah, weed. Yeah, I can see Seth. why you, I, I can see why you guys like this one the best out of all out of <laughs> yeah. those choices too. I'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna go with that last one. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we definitely we definitely saved the best for last in this instance. And we would not um, subject you to any of the other ones. So. No, we, we like <laughs> you way you. too much to, to make you watch the, the Wild Hogs. Yeah, don't watch it. That's the other thing. Andy made it clear everyone should watch this movie. Do not watch Wild Hogs under any circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> if it's on a plane, jump out. Like, don't. <laughs> that good, huh? Yeah. It's, it, it, we're, I think we're making it sound a little worse than it is, but don't watch that movie. Yeah, it's not good. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, Heather, is there anything that you would like to plug or point our listeners to about things that you have going on or anything like that no the, the most i do is my improv stuff with uh with big with baltimore improv group doing a weekly yeah. shows bigimprov.org. that's that's my it's my creative outlet teaching and coaching and performing it's a lot of fun which is, seriously if you get a chance to see heather do improv definitely take that opportunity because it is yeah delightful. it's it's it is well worth it, uh, whether it's uh, one, of, one of their teams or uh, Heather with Strangers, which is an absolutely delightful show. That is a fun uh, show. Yeah. Where, that is super. It's, it's one of my favorite ones to do. Yeah. It's uh, for those listening. It's where I'd go. I'm the only person in the, in the set, but I choose somebody from the audience who's never seen improv before to, to be the other, to be my my uh, troop mate during this, during the whole set. And, and, and it's great because people are always, of course, terrified to come on stage because they've never even seen improv. But it's so easy to teach people to just, you know, be themselves and, and respond honestly. And like they always end up loving it by the end. It's really yeah, I think I've got a lot of people in the improv classes after after having performed with Heather with Strangers. No, I, th- I think that's accurate. Um, well, cool. Well, Heather, thank you for being a guest and, and talking about this delightful movie. And yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks so much. This was delightful. And go do something nice for your fellow person out there in the world. Be the drag queen that they need in their life. That's, That's the right. Lesson. Be kind. That's the takeaway. Yeah, definitely. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. 
If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hey guys, it's Sean. And Carter. From Potato. Salad. Marmalade. Eight. 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 Potato Salad Marmalade. Another podcast here on the Peak Sloth Network. Check it out.